Design, I'm Moise Jiwa. You join me today in a conversation with Christopher Shaw, a specialist consultant in mental health design who has over 28 years experience in healthcare architecture. A passionate advocate for evidence-based design, significant elements of his day-to-day working involve research and evaluation of healthcare buildings in the UK and worldwide. First, I asked Christopher to tell us a little bit about his background. I'm an architect by training and background. About 30 years ago, I worked at an organisation called the Medical Architecture Research Unit, based in London, which in those days was a a very small and rather unique organisation that specialised in research around the environment for healthcare. Specifically, it was quite focused on acute hospitals and preparing guidance. That really came out of a thing called the NHS plan, which was as the, the NHS was founded in the late 1940s. The development of infrastructure to support the NHS really got underway in the 60s and 70s. And, and so when I arrived on the scene in the late 1980s, we'd had the oil crisis, um, things were stalling. But there was still a programme in those days, a rather centrally driven programme of developing hospitals and learning from best practice around the world and so on. Since then, things have become a lot more globalised and we all talk to each other and learn from each other much more. From, from the late 1980s, early 90s, I, I was involved in, in um, preparing guidance and standards for buildings. And then in 1991, uh, me and my colleagues, Miss, Mrs. Thatcher got in in the UK, all research was closed down and uh, we, we set up in the private sector, as it were. So I established a practice um, doing very much what I've been doing at the university and then carried on uh, in, in that vein. I'm also chair of an organisation called Architects for Health, which is probably unique in the world in that we, it's a sort of uh, a knowledge sharing organisation with about 400 members from around the world. And really those involved or interested in the design or quality of, of health environments. The members aren't only architects. So we've got uh, clinicians, we've got um, people who make bits and pieces, medical equipment and so on. And we hold conferences and uh, exchange best practice, really, and experiences around the world. It's, it's a small group of people uh, working in the design of hospitals, really, around the world. We mostly know each other. <laughs> and uh, remarkably, I suppose, over the last 30 years, there's been, as there has in medical practice, I suppose, the, the, a sort of convergence of standards as people in Australia or in the States or in uh, Europe look at what each other's doing and we you know we're all looking for the best clinical pathways the kind of good results that we should be expecting and that reflects on the design of buildings and then medical equipment has become increasingly globalized we're all using the same kit and building standards follow on rather late i must say i mean we're we're quite slow to follow on but uh, we you know we're all driven by the same things so you know my life is split really i suppose between uh, the practice of architecture, designing buildings, bits of hospitals, evaluating them, and looking at research and standards and talking to colleagues, yeah. which is quite a nice life. I mean, it's it's very enjoyable sitting across the two great professions of architecture and medicine. You meet terrific people, 
the ideas are right on the cutting edge on both sides and it's always much more interesting when you get that mix that cross-cultural cross-discipline uh, discussions um so it's a very pleasant place to sit yeah i can imagine that and what what occurs to me and i guess some of the some of our readers will be very interested in this is can you describe a story or a situation where you saw where the cross-pollination really resulted in a good outcome? There's, there's a discipline which some of your readers may not be aware of called evidence-based design, which um, is really looking at the, the areas of um, environment and how they impact on clinical outcomes. Many years ago, I got involved in looking at, well, I was preparing guidance for psychiatric hospitals. And in those days, there was very much a push to bring psychiatry for professional parity purposes as much as anything else into the acute hospital setting. This was in the late 80s. And from within the psychiatric profession, there, were very much, there was a sort of very much a sort of split uh, between those who wanted a more community-based local source psychiatric care as a different thing from and very much resisted the sort of medicalization of practice. So it was an interesting area to be designing. And there was uh, not a huge amount of, of research, but uh, there, there was some evidence that we could start to, to apply to it. And the big challenge in that kind of environment was reducing evidence of violence, reducing self-harm, suicide in particular, and uh, improving more subtle things like um, choice and autonomy and so on amongst individuals, uh, both, both on the patient side, but also within staff as well. So designing, uh, you know, the, we set ourselves a set of rules, which looked at uh, issues like privacy and dignity, um, safety, security, different, different thing from safety, but, um, and then pulled out all the best evidence we could at the time. And it was quite remarkable because you could you could you could look at patients coming out of a of a kind of 1950s 60s environment into a modern environment, and quite a number of quite sort of dramatic things happened. The, the level of violence, the incidence of untoward violence, which is measured in most jurisdictions, most most systems, would drop by 60 70 percent, which is quite significant. And the number of things that, that followed on from that, um, the number of days off sick from staff would drop dramatically. The levels of stress uh, in, in, in the system would, would drop dramatically. And really, the, the things that were, that were driving that were um, certainly the move towards sing, single patient rooms, uh, places for reflection, places for, for personal safety, took, took a lot of pressure off. Um, designing buildings which didn't have dead ends as it were a lot of the violence tends to happen at dead, dead ends of those um but but i suppose things which might surprise people like raising ceiling heights there's this thing called the pressure cooker effect where people feel a lot of stress when they when they're in an environment with a low ceiling and as i describe it i'm sure a lot of your readers will, will kind of understand what i mean that, that sense that when you're in a place with a low ceiling and people are brushing past you you feel you you feel like your space is being invaded. So by um, raising ceilings, uh, you, you could you could reduce that level of stress, and that had uh, that's had a, a huge impact on on the quality of care. Uh, that's just one example. I think uh, you know within within the acute care there, there are others, but 
environment, I think, matters across the piece. It's a difficult thing to measure. About six months ago, I was in Switzerland uh, talking to drugs companies, Novartis and, and all these people. And of course, they very much pride themselves on their research processes and their, 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 the way that they carefully measure um, the, the impact of the pharmaceutical industry on, on, on model patients. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're designing environments, it's much more subtle. You can't get those kind of um, um, double-blind feedback situations. We don't have, it's a complex issue. We don't have that discipline in terms of research. But what you can do is, uh, you know, look at it experientially and then look at what the kind of outcomes that, that you're getting um, through modifying the environment. And, and a lot of it's common sense. <laughs> so... Um, that's really the, the, the environment in which we work and, and the kind of way in which good quality, well-considered design can have a, an impact both on um, the quality of care, but also the quality of outcomes. So you've worked in the 80s and, you know, and, and beyond. So if you're looking forward, what do you think is the most problematic area in the years ahead? And how do you think architecture will, will uh, uh -huh. respond to that? Well, architecture responds to, to all sorts of things around it. I think, I think the biggest challenges, and this is a sort of global, global issue, is, is, the, is the pressure, the population pressures on health systems and how we adapt. And it's useful to, to remind yourself that, that, that what we think of as a modern as a hospital these days is quite a modern invention. It really sort of came about in the 1850s onwards. So it's, it's only 150 years old, which for, for a for a building type is, is uh, comparatively modern. You know, when you think of churches and uh, the other sort of civic buildings that we have, which have millennial histories, the, the, the hospital, which is much loved by populations, is, is a comparatively modern thing. So we shouldn't think that it's fixed. And the, the kind of changes that we're seeing at the moment in that, and particularly in Australia, where, where you are, are the centralization of expensive people medical equipment and so on, meaning that the hospital is becoming a larger place and serving a larger population. So you have your, your the, the top end, your academic medical centres, the, uh, the Royal Adelaide's or the Karolinskas or whatever, becoming very, very big centralised organisations, which then that poses huge organisational challenges. Uh, at the same time, you've got the population getting frailer and older and demanding more more complex continuing non-episodic care possibly closer to home so we've got the the, the things that people talk about in terms of uh, appliances managing managing wellness rather than episodic care how we do what i describe as air traffic control the popular across a population dealing with appliances which might be giving you might have a lot of telemetry coming in at the community level and what kind of places support that we don't really yet have we don't you know people go around talking about well we need a health hub well nobody knows what a health hub looks like feels like what the sort of professional relationships around a health hub might be so there's designing those kind of places which are sort of bigger than a health centre, smaller than a hospital, yeah. have a, a relationship to a population which is perhaps different to, to those that we're used to as a challenge. And then there's a whole swathe of, of um, bits of infrastructure and places 
that health systems have in the middle, which is the, sm the, the smaller hospitals, the community clinics, the uh, psychiatric hospitals and so on. And, and that, that's the squeezed middle in this situation. So you've got the big hospitals getting bigger. You've got care closer to home um, certainly appearing in the impact of appliances. Um, and then there's this squeeze, this whole middle layer of infrastructure, which is uh, sort of losing out and losing its functions as, as those two things take place. Mm. So it, it, it's an interesting challenge. And, and certainly, you know, we're all fishing for the answers. We are. And not, not just in hospital sector, I guess this also applies to general practice and family medicine, that these things that used to look like um, government bureaucracy, where you sat and you took a ticket and waited in line like you were paying your tax bill or getting your license renewed, that's no longer acceptable to people. Yes, uh, the, 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 the whole process of millennial change, in, in particularly in Western countries, is quite interesting because it affects not only the consumer's point of view, but also the idea, you know, within, within the clinical professions, within, within, you know, doctors and nurses and so on, you know, the idea that, that, that you're going to serve a community for life in one place is, is uh, not, uh, not really sort of, sort of in, in, in the forefront of people's minds. So designing a kind of culture, an organisational, having an, an idea of an organisation where people have portfolio careers maybe for, 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 for two or three years, developing a specialism and then move on and develop other specialisms and, and are able to do that and are able to feed on each other, develop a culture, move on, move to the best place, is a particular challenge, particularly if you're in a rural area in northern Canada or um, uh, the outback in Australia or, you know, how do you, how do those places which are serving fairly dispersed populations become really enviable places to work and you know it's more than just paying people a lot of money to go and work there you need to we, we need to think about the impact of it networking effectively how we can create cultures and cultures that make that an essential stepping stone or an essential add-on to a career rather than um, you know sort of ending up with a bunch of second rate people working you know in islands and coastal populations around the world and you know I, I think that the, the when whenever i start a project I, I never talk about buildings you know really what you're interested in is well what's the culture of this this place going to be like and how does how do we make it somewhere that people really want to come and work um because you know the workforce is a huge challenge and when you think about it now with with that lens that you've offered us what would you like to see happen sooner rather than later i think that people need to understand the impact of information technologies where we're, we're on opposite sides of the world um uh, telling a story to each other uh, at the moment and i think that most health systems have a sort of an iner inertia of about 20 to 30 years in the way that they behave most hospitals even today are sort of predicated on departmental relationships which are based on very old notions of professions and actually the movement of paper. So I think you do need to have people imagining the future better and thinking about the impact of, of IT. Because when I design a building, I need to think about 20, 30, 40 years ahead. You know, hey, it's sometimes going to take me 10, 10, 15 years to get the building built. And if it's going to be useful, you need to have a, a sense of where things are. Now, there's nothing worse than going and talking to a 
podiatrist and saying to them, look, what do you think you're going to be doing in 30 years' time? Because um, most clinicians really aren't terribly good at thinking. You know, they're, they're really great at now because that's what they have to deal with. Pretty good at, you know, maybe even a couple of years' time. But talking about longer-term horizons in, in the professions is something which I don't think happens easily. And um, and I think there needs to be more of that and lo- more looking at, um, at the impact of IT uh, across populations. I think we need to think less. And what I suppose comes with that is, is that we need to think less specifically about sort of tight clinical processes and I do this, then I do this, then I do this. Because by the time you get to the building, you'll probably be doing something different. Clinical processes tend to change on about a seven to 10 year cycle anyway. So a sort of, I, I suppose we need to sort of squint our eyes and look to the future a little bit and, and try and imagine a bit more about how things are going to be. And, and, and that, that, I think, is, is, a, is good for any discipline and profession to do, but, but um, particularly if you're trying to envisage the kind of infrastructure that's going to make a that's going to support a successful healthcare system you you, you do need to have have a sort of fairly grown-up conversation about what the future is going to be like mm. and it's challenging because you know people aren't the medical schools medical training doesn't really embrace that as much as it should do and you know it's interesting to hear an architect who deals in bricks and mortar talking about something that is very fluid, which is how our careers are changing. And therefore, we're going to want something different out of the building that we walk into. Absolutely. You know, the bricks and mortar, you know, um, you know, I think Winston Churchill said, you know, we make the buildings, but the buildings make us. You know, bricks and mortar are about, you know, they, they predicate a lot of social relationships, the, the interaction. People talk about water cooler moments, you know, <laughs> which is a sort of, terribly ironic this and describes this piece piece of 1990s uh, relationships that, that, that people have but you know you do need to think about how people use mobile phones how people move around and interact with each other how how we gain knowledge uh, and so on and all of that affects the, the, the what you touch and what you feel around you it's the places the materials the furniture the the lighting the acoustics you know it's all of that sort of stuff and as a designer you know, you're having to assemble all of that sort of stuff. And a lot of it can become, you know, very routine, you know, selections from catalogues and, and the way we've always done it. But but you do need to think about it. And the, the pleasure in, in coming into a place which which works well and makes you feel at home and is, is a place that you want to work or as a patient, when you come into, you feel that, that you know, you're going to be cared for and that professional ethos is well communicated the subtle the subtle things that make those differences i mean i think i think if you walk into any hospital it's really interesting to see the number of notices that are in front of you and it's an indication of how poorly thought of health environments are we can really appreciate about about three notices in in any in any one setting and if you go into, I mean, I go into my local dentist, there's about 200, including ones that refer to the millennium bug. You know, the, 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 the most, the, high, the, the biggest impact that somebody can have in terms of a hospital management or healthcare management is to employ somebody to take down notices. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they, they say a lot about the institution very quickly, and it's not positive. No, it isn't. And it's not just the notices, it's the way the place smells, it's 
fabric that's being used. It's the the icons that are on display. Yeah, and noise. The the level of noise in hospitals, For partly sure. because of medical equipment, has you know has risen uh, consistently year on year, and it's continuing to rise. And we need to you know, we really need to. It's a major stressor both for staff and for patients and visitors. Actually. So, so you know, concentrating on, and it's very, very unusual to find a, a brief for anything for for a design which says, "Oh, yeah, we're worried about the noise," um, but it's 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 a major stressor. That was Christopher Shaw, whose particular area of expertise lies in strategic health planning to enable design for the enhancement of clinical outputs and the human experience of medical care. It's interesting to hear him point out that hospitals are no more than 150 years old and that there is so much more that needs to happen for these institutions that we love so much to evolve. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design.